Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we'll never have any adverts. We chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships and happiness. Because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a PB at your next race or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these elements has real significance. They are all the principles that underpin our SWAT community, where we have almost 150 like-minded members who, if you choose to join, you'll be able to share that community with and also access winter training and summer racing plans across all races with a variety of weekly training volumes and where we cater for all levels of experience from first timers right up to world championship competitors. So please look out for a link in the show notes below. Now, before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to do a few shout outs. These are some of the people I recently met on my trip to Hawaii and they were all competing in the Ironman World Championships. And I promised them I'd say hello in the introduction. So, and excuse me if I get the pronunciations wrong, I'm trying my very best here. So Chantel Kudzia, Sam Thompson, Oli Kolodzeki, Rachel Edwards, Ros McGinty and Gregory Godley. It was a pleasure to meet you all. I hope you enjoyed your time on the Big Island and I hope you enjoy this podcast. So my guest today is Rob Starr. Rob's currently just a few events away from completing a challenge of 52 triathlons in 52 weeks as he raises money for his own charity, the Star Trust. Now you might think that that challenge doesn't sound particularly difficult especially when you compare it to some of the ones that you hear triathletes attempting. But it is made more difficult by three conditions that Rob deals with every day. Of course, he dismisses the importance to him and says he's been dealing with them all his life, but they are significant. Rob has Crohn's disease, he suffers from osteoporosis, and he also has arthritis. So we'll get into all of these topics in the course, so let's crack on and hear from Rob. Oh, welcome to the show, Mr. Rob Starr. Thank you. How are Thank you today? You. Um, yeah, super. All good. You're All in good. Brighton. Is it? Is it as sunny in Brighton as it is in Yorkshire? Uh, it, yeah, ish. Well, I don't know how sunny it is in Yorkshire, but Brighton's always got the sun out. You can well, you can look yeah, outside my window there. there it's pretty go. sunny. It's it's always sunny. sunny in, it's always sunny in Yorkshire as well. There you go. <laughs> so, um, you and I have been introduced by um, Mark Kenner. So, Mark's involved yeah. with your or helping you out with your 52 times 52 triathlon challenge that you're currently in the middle of. So we're he going is, to come to that. Out. We're going to come to that a bit later. Um, you're you're not you're not a professional triathlete. Um, you're, not, an ins- no. you're, in, you're an insurance broker, right? I'm not a professional anything, Simon. Um, oh, you're a professional I, a, insurance broker. <laughs> I, yeah, okay. By by default of 30 plus years, I am. Yes. Okay, so um, tell us how. Tell us how um, an insurance broker got involved with a challenge of doing one triathlon every week for a full calendar year. Okay, blimey. Um, well, I like to think I'm more than an insurance broker. I think that's just how I how I pay how I pay the bills and gets me up in the morning. Um, um, long and short is a, a few years ago, fifteen years ago now, I set up a, a children's charity, Star Trust. Um, it was that which. Uh, which was all about I lost my father and so on and so forth. It was some. It was a way of me being 
positive in my life was to give something back. So mm-hmm. my, my business covers the running costs of the charity and, and then we fundraise and we give out whatever whatever we raise. So one of the young uh, young guys who we've helped over the years, um, a, a guy called Nathan, who, who's got cerebral palsy, and um, we funded him. He's a wheelchair, wheelchair racer and was doing super well. We bought him the wheelchair and helped him with his training and other stuff. And he is the most incredible, incredible young man. Anyway, um, during the World Championships, the last World Championships, he, he, he came off the wheelchair, damaged his hips further. So unbeknown to us, during the lockdown period, he took up wheelchair tennis um, as against stopping, which most people would just do. He just <laughs> took up a yeah. new sport. I mean, incredibly, incredible, incredibly um, incredible young man. So anyway, he, he came back and applied to us for help with that. And he explained that he, um, he he on his own he'd got into sort of the you know the top I think it was top seventy five in the world in wheelchair tennis in the eighteen months, um, and the Paralympic uh, committee were keen to support him, but he had to get from where he was to another another level, and he needed new equipment, he needed training, and so on and so forth. So he came to us. Now we're a really small charity. The most we can give out is five thousand pound at a time because we don't have have much money, and he needed twenty thousand and. You know, we just couldn't do it. Much as I would love to support him, I, we, it's not, we didn't have the money or the, or the ability to, to, to give out that much money. We were having a, a small event um, in Brighton, sort of uh, post-pandemic. It was like, here we are, we're still here, still trying to raise money. Nathan came along and he was just te- he, we had him on the stage and he was just telling the people there how we'd helped him to try and encourage them. And, of course, we're having this discussion. He's explaining what he's doing. Um, and, and how much money he needs. And it was just impossible because we'd said we'd give 5,000, but there was no way they could get the rest. And, you know, I'm just standing there next to him, chatting to him. And I was like, how can I not give him this other 15,000? I mean, it's just impossible, right? You've got a, he's the most incredible kid. So just in front of everyone, I just sort of started having the conversation. There was probably 300 people in the room. I was just having the conversation of, you know, what can I do personally outside the charity to raise money for the charity specifically for nathan mm-hmm. um uh, i'd been done i'd done a few triathlons recently the year before i'd done or that year actually last year i'd done two half ironmans my first full ironman now there's no way i was going to go back and do those again i mean i just thought they were crazy things to do if i'm mm-hmm. honest but above my pay grade but um so i was like well I, I won't do those again but what can i do in the whole triathlon space is there something i can do which will just encourage everyone and someone just said, why don't you do one um, one a month? And everyone started laughing. So I was like, well, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll better that. I'll do one a week. And that was it. I mean, in my usual way, no thought before I jump. I jumped and then I thought about it. So in front of 300 people, I, I just committed to doing a, 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 a tri- an Olympic triathlon every week because he's going to the Olympics. I said, I'll do an Olympic try a week. And during that night, we raised virtually all the money he needed. And it wasn't a fundraising evening. So, of course, by the end of it, I had no choice but to do the challenge because I'd committed to it. Uh, this was in the October last year. So, yeah, there, there was no uh, desire to do it, no need to do it in terms of a challenge for me. And um, and I hadn't given a moment's thought to the uh, to the complexities of it, if I'm honest. It, it seems like a lot of challenges arise out of a little bit of bravado in front of a lot of people and... Um, but but generally, from the mouth of somebody who's usually an action taker, and so um, 
once you've once you've decided this, then it's like, well, okay, we better work out how we're going to do it now. And uh, you know, I've read lots of books about people who've taken on some extreme challenges. It, it nearly mm. always involves alcohol. So I didn't hear you mention that there. I, there was no alcohol drunk by me, but um, but I do. I my whole life. I've always jumped off the mountain and then I see where I'm going to land. And this was just another one of those moments. There's there's a book by a guy called Michael Masterson. I think it is called Ready, Fire, Aim. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if there you've you ever go. read that. No, and I, and I remember when somebody it. gave it to me and I thought, what a weird title. Why don't they call it Ready, Aim, Fire? But the problem is that the people who are trying to aim spend all the time aiming. And by the time they fire, they've lost the momentum. Um, and, and again, back back to back to action takers, yeah. they 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 get ready they fire and then they try to work out how to hit you know the target what afterwards. you know what simon the the i think my whole life actually i've always lived by this i always think that the first step's always the hardest step in whatever we do whatever we do and after you take the first step the next step is the first step and then after you've taken that the next step is the first step it's just a number <laughs> of steps and once you've taken the first step you the journey's already started for me in this case it was standing up and telling people what i'm going to do um and and yeah i think that the, the the more thought you give to things the less likely you're going to do them well again you know successful entrepreneurs you you generally find that they're really good at getting going with something and um i know people who've wanted to set up a business but they never get around to it because they're always trying to make everything perfect but if you look at even the biggest corporations often even look at apple software gets released and a week later there's an update needed so they're releasing yeah, it before it's perfect yeah. but just get just get stuff done yeah. And then start doing the working out afterwards. Yeah, My, um, my dad used to say to me, uh, he's been, uh, we lost him very young, but one thing he always used to say to me, which I never forgot as a kid, he'd always say to me, a year from now, you wish you'd started today. Yeah. And and that's it, isn't it? <laughs> well, and, and I've mentioned this on quite a lot of podcasts, but the founder of LinkedIn always said also, which is where I think a lot of people go wrong, but he said, if you're not embarrassed about the first version of anything you do, then you started too late. There you go. Um, there you go. Because, you know, if you get on with it straight away, I mean, I look back at some yeah. of the stuff I did in my coaching 20 years ago, I'm like, oh, that wouldn't pass any courses. <laughs> no, <there you> go. <laughs> but it hasn't held me back. You know, I just got on with well, it. There you go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, if you could just clarify me. So you started the Star Foundation. You talked about your dad dying young. Um, yeah. Do you just help children or do you help um, anybody that comes onto your radar? So we're, we're a young people's charity. So we're, right. Let's what, not say so. That, what prompted uh, what prompted you to to help those then? Because there's plenty of young people's charities, and I guess if you thought about it, if any of us thought about it for a long time, you probably would never start a charity because you wouldn't know who to help. Uh, for sure. I, I mean, when I say young people, we 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 support young people aged ten to twenty five. So you know, it's it's not child so much as young people. I say ten to twenty five is a broad range. Why why did I start that? Well, again, when I set the charity up, I had no reason to set a charity up being totally honest i had certainly had no money to do it which is normally the best way of doing something i mean i, I actually started the charity on a bank loan i borrowed some money to keep my business going because my business was going out of business this was 16 years ago and it was 16 years old almost at the time and um i sort of sat with this money in the bank to buy new computers and desks and and it kind of occurred to me that actually if i'm going to save the business i ought to go back to work which is how i started the business <laughs> so you know it was just a case of giving the bank money away which was a curious thing to do when i look back but but there was no plan and i was doing it because i'd lost my dad you know i was quite torn up with 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 his loss and dad was just a great person to inspire young people 
So it just seemed like it seemed like a natural thing to do. If I'm going to do something to honor him, I should, you know, he was he was so inspirational. He really was. So it was just following on from that. At the time, there was no I had no idea what we were going to do as a charity. I mean, really no idea. Apart from we'll raise some money and we'll give it away. And when the money's gone, it's gone. We gave away the bank loan. Didn't expect any more money to come in. And, you know, 15 years later, here we are. But it's all about just helping young people be the best they can be and helping remove remove roadblocks that they face. Um, yeah. What, but what uh, still I'm, I'm puzzled as to what was it that made you think about helping young people? Did you have a particular friend in need or did was it somebody's no, son honestly, or daughter? No, no. I mean, you know, I, it, it, it was nothing like that. It was just dad always sat on my shoulder and telling me that I could do anything and be anything. And growing up, um, I genuinely believed that I could succeed in whatever I tried. And, and of course, that isn't reality. We know that. But it was all about trying. It was always always about mm-hmm. not being scared. And after we lost dad, you know, I had my first child then. My first child was only 16. We've got three now. But sorry, 16, six months old. He's 16 now. My first child was six months old at the time. And I think I was just kind of looking at him and thinking, God, what? What would I have been if I didn't have dad on my shoulder making me believe I could be? And I just wanted that if anything happened to me, not being dramatic, but if anything happened to me, I wanted someone to sit on Asher's shoulder and just tell him he could do it and it's all going to be okay. And mm-hmm. it was just that thought process. I needed to do something to make sure that a young person out there had someone on their shoulder just saying, sure, you've got this. And why, why shouldn't this be for you? So mm-hmm. it, was, so there, it wasn't a specific young person it was just that whole that message i was brought up with i just i felt with dad not being there i felt i felt the need to carry that message on so you, you've been going for 16 years did yep, you say? Six, 16 years this year 16 years what, yeah. what do you what do you think you've raised in that in that time well i mean i know we've given out just over a million pounds um and, and i know we've we've helped just over four thousand young people mm-hmm. and, and it's quite astonishing really because like i say we there was no plan. The whole thing was started on a bank loan, which took me five years to pay off. And uh, yeah, it's, it's astonishing when you look back, you know, but then time flies, doesn't it? So I haven't really, I haven't watched what we've been doing as closely, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah, here we are. But yeah, it's, it's you know, I think we've made a significant difference in people's lives it's of that, I'm sure, because I've met so many of the young people we help and, mm. and, uh, and, and it's changed lives and saved lives. I know that. So, you, you yes. take on these challenges. What, what before you did this, started this uh, fifty-two times fifty-two. What, what sort of other challenges have you taken on personally, or do you, or do you ask other people to raise, or do you ask if other people would be willing okay. to raise money on behalf of the charity? Well, we are as a charity, we fundraise to give the money out. Like I say, my my insurance and mortgage business covers all the, the entire running costs of the charity. So whatever we raise, we give out. So we do ask people, of course. I'm rubbish at that. I hate asking people for money. I really do. I have a couple of people in my um, uh, in the charity who are who are fundraisers who put on the events, should I say? So we put on balls, we have bike rides, and you know, uh, all various various things that go on in the year, and uh, that raises the money. And we have some corporate sponsors who we just who I love them all who who help us. Um, the first thing I did was back in 2012. I decided to run that run a marathon i wasn't i mean i've always kept fit but i wasn't a, by any stretch of the imagination a sports person so i thought i'd run the marathon and everyone runs a marathon now i mean you know every man mm. and, his, and his dog back then but you know 10 plus years ago it was still quite a an unusual thing to do i yeah. to a degree 
Um, but because of my I have arthritis and Crohn's disease and you know a couple of challenges, and, and I was finding that I'd get to a four or five miles in, and my my arthritis would kick off, and I would then have a couple of weeks on on uh, crutches, and I'd be having to then recover from that, and then I'd go out again. It was just getting silly, and it you know I I, I clearly I wasn't going to get anywhere with that. But I live by the sea, so there I am looking at the sea all day long, wondering you know how am I going to run down the street. The obvious thing to do was learn to swim and swim the channel. So, obvious, obviously. <laughs> well, it seemed like the obvious thing to do, and and uh, and um, so yeah, I was I was pretty much a non-swimmer. I mean, I, you know, I was, I was splashing in a swimming pool, and uh, um, so I committed to doing this. And the first thing I did was I told a million people. You know, I just went out and told everyone I know what I'm going to do again, just committing myself to it without any thought. And it took me mm. it took me two years uh, to learn to swim. What happened on that journey um, was that um, it didn't go the way I planned. I'd got eight hours into a, a channel swim and they I was taken out. My weight had dropped to silly weight. I was sort of seven and a half stone. And that's because my because of my Crohn's disease. I can't I cannot eat the way an athlete mm. needs to eat. It's just impossible. And I can't maintain a lot of weight. Um, so, I, you know, I was doing six and seven hour pool swims back to back um, on nothing. Absolutely zero. So, anyway, I was taken out. Of, I was pulled out of the swim and you know, you medically can't go any further. But um, I wasn't going to not get to France, of course. So, you know, I scrabbled around uh, the Brighton Swimming Club, found a few other people. And I said, well, I'll, I'm going can you come with me and we'll do it as a relay? So the, the, the few months later, we got across. We were actually the only team who got across that that day as well. All other teams didn't, didn't make it. Mm-hmm. But we did get across. But that that period of sort of two, two and a half years, I raised about eight, just under £80,000 for the trust, for the charity. But it really elevated the charity. All of a sudden, who's this lunatic who can't swim how dare we take on the channel it's like that's it's madness mm. so it really elevated us so having done that i then a couple of years later thought i need to do something else so i then bought a bike and i wasn't a cyclist and i and i did a uh the attack went up le mont ventoux um again ridiculous thing to do as a non-cyclist but mm-hmm. raised a shed load of money and and uh raised the profile of the charity um then I started to do some triathlons because, you know, you kind of start these things. Once you start on this journey of exercise and, and sport, it's very hard to get off it. It's a real treadmill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and especially with my, with my illnesses, I've, I found they made me so much better. So as an example, ha- halfway through my channel swimming training, I ran the marathon, Brighton Marathon. Um, you know, astonishing uh, I, for me. What? Can you explain why you say they made you so much better? Well, I'm going to put it down to the sea. Well, two things, two things. One, the sea. So I started when I was training for the channel, I was having to swim in the sea every single day. Mm. You know, cold water swimming, trunks, hat and goggles. So I'd gone from a non-swimmer, non, certainly a non-sea swimmer, to every day, seven days a week. And I found that I'd, I'd some mornings I'd go down to the beach and I'd park my car at the top of the, the seafront, and, and it was no more than 50 metres to the beach, and that could take me half an hour with either my, my normally my Crohn's playing up. I'd have to stop every few paces. I'd get in the sea, and it was like some, some biblical miracle. I'd swim in the sea, half an hour I'd come out, and, and I'm, I don't need anything, to the point where I, I flushed all my medication away from my Crohn's, which I'd been on since I was a child. 
The other thing is, there's no doubt in my mind, especially with this challenge I'm doing now, because I've seen it, that movement is the best medicine. Mm-hmm. So I think everything I was doing with the, the channel swimming, the marathon, cycling Von 2, taking up the triathlons, all of this um, has improved my health. Um, I, I mean, it, it's, indescri- it's literally indescribable how the, the, the improvement on my health by me moving, sea swimming particularly, but and the cold water, but actually just constantly moving. I it doesn't come when, without challenges, but, you know. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I've spoken to a few people about cold water swimming, and I do a little bit myself, certainly not the uh, not throughout the year and not every day. Although I live right back to the, next to Leeds Liverpool Canal, so to your point, there's the water there, so why wouldn't I swim it? I, I don't understand it. We need to come back to that later while you don't. But, well, uh, yeah. well, because because I'm not sure about the water safety of it to start <laughs> with, um, <laughs> but I, I do like using the canal for other things, you know, cattle, uh, kayaking and and, yeah, yeah. and paddleboarding. So uh, maybe I'll find another challenge that involves that. But yeah. um, I, I had uh, I did have a podcast guest on before where we talked about movement being the best medicine. But I'm wondering if when you're in the sea, and obviously you've got a lot of challenges like dealing with the waves, um, yeah. and dealing with the wind, and and it's flipping and your cold. mind. And, and your, your mind, mind. <laughs> so you you can only really focus on swimming you can't you can't think about anything else and anything so else, no. i think probably at that point all of those other things get pushed way down the list of priority of course you know, they do survival yeah. and, and and maybe yeah. that's it it might be because you know my illnesses are real illnesses i'm not suggesting they're not but there's definitely something there's definitely something in the mind mm-hmm. that makes them worse than they are and there's something in the mind that can make them better than they are. So there, there's no doubt at all that uh, with a, with the right uh, mindset behind you, you can of course overcome anything. Well, so that you've taken us neatly onto that topic, then, Rob. So um, Crohn's disease. It, yeah, um, I've done a podcast on this before, and I'll signpost that in the show notes for anybody who wants to listen to the one I did with uh, professional triathlete Sean Rainsley and her challenges. So mm. it, it just please, for the listeners, explain what Crohn's disease is and and what what sort of uh, challenges you have on a daily basis okay well Crohn's disease is I mean it's a it's a bowel disease it's, a, it's an incurable bowel disease and and it's one where um it it, it cramps me personally for me it, it it cramps me up in my stomach area yeah I mean it's like it, it's likened to um to uh, you know a, a lady having a baby it's, it's, it's to labor pains and I wouldn't know never had a baby but um um, but it's like it's like the, the medical profession likening it to that. I mean, it's severe, severe pains where it can absolutely cripple you. And I, I do get them every day. I mean, it, like I say, for me, because I've had it all my life, I guess it's it's the normal. But every day I get up in, in the mornings and, I, and, I, and at some point during the day I am faced with that. Also, not a nice subject, but I guess I'm old enough and ugly enough to talk about it. You know, you don't, you know, your, your, your bowel movements um people talk about having diarrhea and, and and things running through them that's normal for me i mean i wouldn't know what what a normal person would do going to the toilet so i mean for me I, my body empties itself on on a quite a regular basis i'll give I mean, you a, a, a friend of mine had colitis which is sort of a very similar isn't it um yeah it's kind and, of oh, and it, don't want to put it down it's almost like the baby version of it yeah exactly yeah. It's, a, it's a step down from that yeah. but he used to t- he used to regale me of stories to his consultant where he'd have he'd have to have a he'd have a solid index of what's his of his poos you know like number one being very runny and number 10 being very solid and, and every time he's consulting he went he went right tell me what your poo index was oh i just and you know what i was brought up in a house or my, my father died of bowel cancer and 
and he'd been bleeding quite some some years and he was too embarrassed to talk to anyone and mm. so i come from that household of well we don't talk about that so yeah for me it's it's been a really personal thing and i haven't wanted to talk about it it's only really now that i don't i don't mind talking about it in my but, 50s but don't you think um i can't remember which um which newsreader it was that had bowel cancer um he, i think he died recently was it bill turnbull and he yes, and i go, think yes. he was talking about how actually we need to talk about these things we need to be open about it because by not being so that can actually lead to a lot of people um going beyond the stage where it's treatable my father's the perfect example with, with the the when he first when they first discovered the the cancer that the the consultant said to us if if we'd have known about this a year ago, he 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 wouldn't be dying. As it is, he's got a year, and actually six months later, he was dead. And he was mm. only six, just turned sixty. If he hadn't been embarrassed by it, he'd still be here, I'd imagine. Mm. I know. Good chance, anyway. So yeah, so the, the you know the symptoms aren't great. I mean, I, you know, again, I look back over the over my my life. You know, I run my own business, and my business is about me going out and presenting to people. And I'm I'm the front man of my of my company. Mm. You know, I've been in meetings before. I've gone to a meeting. And without meaning to, I've soiled myself before the meeting mm. in the middle of London. And I'm like, what do I do? And I've literally gone to a shop, bought a suit and got changed and stuck everything in the dustbin. I mean, you can't imagine as a 25-year-old trying to start a business mm. being in that position. And it's not nice to talk about, but that's the reality of it. I mean, I'm, I'm much more in control now, of course. But Okay, so probably, I mean, that's, that's the background challenge that's there all the yeah. time, but more pertinent to you as an athlete is that that must impact your abilities, your body's ability to absorb food. Of it course. probably impacts the sort of things that you can, I guess, you know, everybody talking about vegetables, you'd be like, <laughs> vegetables be like eating broken glass for me. It's... <laughs> so when, so when we've got everybody going yeah. mad about being plant-based and vegan, you're running the other way, aren't you? Going, yeah. give, me some, give me some meat and some, uh, some solid foods. Yeah. Well, I've always had a bad relationship with food. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not a skinny Marie, but I've never been above. I've, I'm probably the heaviest I've ever been now since this challenge, because this ha has made me eat more. But I'm a, I sit at about 10 and a half stone, and I've, I haven't, I've never got beyond that. I've, I've, always, I've often been way below it. I've always had a bad relationship with food. And again, I trace that back to my childhood. Food meant pain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I was training for the channel as, an, as a good example, my, my coach, I, I took on a coach who was a ex-channel swimmer. And, and I remember the first time she said to me, we're going to swim from Brighton Pier to Brighton West Pier and back. Now, as a non-swimmer, non-sea swimmer, that two and a half K was like climbing Everest to me. I mean, it would, you know, it was shocking to think that I could get just that far and back. But she told me I had to have a, I had to have a bowl. She knew my eating habits. You have to have a bowl of porridge in the morning or else we won't do this. Now, most people would have gone to bed and worried about that swim got to get up in the morning i'm gonna to have to swim i was awake the whole night the whole night with anxiety about this bowl of porridge and i got up in the morning and i thought i've got this i've got this and i didn't finish it i got about halfway through and i quit i did the swim not nonetheless but D it was dnf on dnf on a bowl of porridge there you go how mad's <laughs> that but that's been my whole life with food when i think about food I get anxiety. So if I'm if I'm left alone and I don't discuss it. So taking on these challenges, when I took on the Ironman particularly uh, last year, I had a coach for that. I have to have a coach because of my illnesses just mm -hmm. to make sure, I, you know, I can get through this. He he very quickly got to know me and he said, unlike every other coach you meet, we're not going to even talk about nutrition. It doesn't exist. We're just going to talk about training and you do what you want. 
And I, I did the Iron Man, the whole Iron Man, on uh, three bananas. I had a banana after the swim, had a banana before the bike, uh, halfway through the bike, and a banana at the beginning of a run. I didn't even attempt anything that I didn't have drinks, I didn't have food, I didn't, three bananas for the whole thing, and that was fine for me. And I think what we need to do as athletes is we need to sometimes listen to ourselves because the one, there isn't a one stop that fits everyone, in my opinion. You know, you read these magazines, eat this, drink that, have this, have that. It just doesn't work for everyone. You need to find what works for you. Well, that's music to my ears, Rob, because uh, you know I've been a coach now for 25 years and I've probably written some of those articles and right. now I've <laughs> sort of like woken up and thought, oh, hold on a minute. You know, that was yeah. just almost like clickbait. Um, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. I definitely think that a lot of the stuff that gets published in magazines and online is clickbait. Um, mm. And a lot of it's about fads. And when I speak to the people who've been around in sport and exercise science for a long time, um, it always comes back to getting the basics right. And it always and it nearly always comes back to um, everybody working out what, what what's right for what, them. What works for um, them. Yeah. And I, I've had numerous heated discussions with athletes and other coaches about this whole thing about, well, what does the research say? And I'm like, well, the research say might the research might say this, but what about this person? Or mm. what about if this person's not doing what the research says? Are you telling me that they're wrong and the research is right? Yeah. Or are you telling it? Well, oh, because because in any research, you've got the bell curve with 80% of the people, mm -hmm. but you've got on the other side, you've got the outliers. For some people, nothing that they do in the research works. Yeah. And for some people, everything works. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I very much like you go on the N equals one experiment. I'll try it. Yeah. Um, it might yeah. not be, you know, for instance, keto diet for most people, it's not going to work if you want to do endurance sports. Mm. But but there's yeah. going to be some people for whom there are particular considerations um, for whom it might work. And that's yeah. great. But yeah. find out what yeah. works for you. Yeah, find yeah. out what works for you. I mean, I, 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 I'm unusual. I can go and run a marathon without any anything before or during. And then a couple of hours afterwards, I'll have something to eat and drink. And mm. people say it's not healthy for you. Well, I'm 53. I don't take my medication. I'm not in a wheelchair anymore. I'm not yeah. on crutches anymore. So tell me it's not good for me. It's each individual person, and, and, and so much of it also is about the mind. Food can cause me anxiety if I think about it. Mm. But there's enough anxiety in sport without having to add one in. So what what um, what can you eat then? Well, I can pretty much eat anything. I mean, I, rich foods are out. I mean, creamy stuff, rich foods, sauces. Obviously, all that stuff's gone. Things like energy gels. I mean, if anything's going to gonna knock me out, give me something fake. Um, you mm. know, I don't... So I don't real Real food. Veg I mean, I was. We were laughing about vegetables a minute ago, but um, I, I would guess that vegetables are, um, particularly for sort of highly fibrous stuff, is, is yeah, a struggle for you. It's not great. It's not great. I mean, the best yeah. thing for me when I, if I'm, uh, I normally eat post event, whatever the event is. Mm -hmm. um, normally, it's um, fruit, um, and but normally it'd be tinned fruit, like tinned peaches, which is just full of sugar. Of course, we know yeah. that, yeah. but my body craves for that. If it's during event, if I have to have something, I'll have a bit of malt loaf okay. or, or, or I'll have some bread with a bit of peanut butter on it. But that's mm -hmm. it. I mean, that's that's or a banana, of course, you know, because it's easy to easy to swallow, especially when you're swimming. But um, but that's it. I mean, absolutely nothing else. 
do you do you eat do you eat a lot of protein and do you eat can you eat eggs for instance i mean yeah, I, I guess i, I guess yeah. the things that people say oh these will bind you up they'll they'll make your insides not work yeah, properly actually that's funny. probably music to your ears well it, you know what it's funny when i when i was first diagnosed with crohn's i mean i, I was i was i was i was young and it actually i wasn't diagnosed is the truth because they didn't it didn't have a name back then um you know we're talking about 40 years ago um but i had a whole list they gave me a whole list of stuff i shouldn't shouldn't eat um and you start like that and you don't get better so i tore the list up and i think for me i can it's it's about not eating too much of anything i never have breakfast i just can't eat in the mornings i have the lightest lunch or if i have a lunch i can't eat at dinner one meal absolutely a day it needs to be cooked it needs to be just good food really i love fish i do eat meat i do eat chicken i like vegetables i like salads i can't put sauces and stuff like that mm. on there but it's about for me it's more about the quantity i just and again if you put a plate of food in front of me a big plate of food because of my anxiety over food i won't eat it mm. if it's just me or me and my wife and my kids and it's a food's on the the table and i can just pick what i want then i'll i'll probably eat as much as anyone I'd, so much I'd, much of it's in my head i'd, I'd imagine <laughs> yeah it, it is always very interesting mm. to listen when people say, well, that's not healthy for you to do that. Well, actually, I'm at, uh, you know, I've got this condition and I've got that condition and I've got that condition. Yeah. I'm already dealing with some unhealthy things. So yeah. is this going to make it worse? Yeah, sometimes you need to take the easy route in life. Mm-hmm. You don't always have to swim against the tide. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so, um, and I guess that, that because the food tends to pass straight through you rather than getting absorbed, because mm. I think that's part of Crohn's, isn't it? It's, yes, the little it is, yeah. vi- it's the little structures that are on the inside of yeah. the gut that absorb food are all dead. So food right. just passes straight through. So absorption yeah. of vitamins and minerals and protein is, is much more difficult. So has that, has that led to your osteoporosis as well then because your body's not absorbing calcium? Well, the, os- the osteoporosis originally came across and, and I've, I've virtually nailed that now. I'm about, from the last scan I had, I'm about 15 years older than I am in my bones. Mm. When I was first diagnosed and I was about 22, my spine was the density of a 98-year-old. It wasn't even on the chart. I mean, it was any moment now it'll it'll crack. Um, quit life, lie down, don't do anything dangerous. That's when I took up squash and running um, because it was just felt like... <laughs> Parachuting. Well, it felt like utter nonsense to tell a 21-year-old to, to, to sit down. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous. Yeah. The, the the osteoporosis originally was caused by the Crohn's medication. Mm, I was ah, on okay. so, I was on so many steroids. I was on at one point there's something called prednisolone, which is the only thing they could give me to keep me out of hospital. Mm. And at one point I was on forty a day. Isn't that isn't that one of the um, banned substances that yeah. the tennis players have been taking yeah. in um, in Russia? Yeah, it is. It's it's, yeah. it, it's so powerful this stuff. And when I'd come off it, I'd be back in hospital. And I'd been in hospital for a while. It was always weeks at a time. So at one point it was well, get double them up, double them up, double them up. So the the um, and they didn't really understand what mm. these pills did, and you know my mum and dad didn't know. Why would you? So the 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 medication for the Crohn's, no, the pills that stop that cause that. So then you have more pills to stop that, which cause that, and more pills to stop that. So I had osteoporosis. Yeah. My eyes wouldn't cry. I had my tear ducts uh, um, dried up, and I had all warts on my fingers and my feet. I mean the whole gambit of stuff. It wasn't until I flushed those away and said, I'd rather be in pain and I'd rather be in hospital every now and mm. again than live like that, that things started to clear up. But, um, of course, the food doesn't help. The food doesn't help. You know, as you say, it doesn't. I don't absorb the food I need to absorb. Um, and therefore, you know, that things just it just runs through you. So sometimes, in, yeah, sorry. 
No, I was going to say. So, how do you how do you make sure your body gets? Uh, are there other ways to make sure your body gets the minerals and vitamins it needs? Do you take injections, for instance? No, I just live, and I just eat what I eat when I want, and okay. and just that's it. I mean, and sometimes I'm really tired, and I just so here's <laughs> here's another question for you. When I had my personal training gym, um, and we had some quite um, elderly clients, you know, in their seventies. Um, That's and not old, Simon. It, it was days. for me then. It, it was, was for then, me then, yeah. and certainly <laughs> yeah. still. I know it's not old, and I mean, I, I've got quite a <laughs> few joking. clients yeah. that I coach that are in the seventies, but um, yeah. th- they were coming into the gym. They they wanted some personal training, and um, for for a, a couple of them, they had osteoporosis. Yeah. And you can't exercise doesn't really help to change the condition of osteoporosis. But the strategy we had was always okay. People, osteoporosis is only a problem if you fall over and you land mm-hmm. on the bones. So yeah. what we need to do is help people improve their balance and the yeah, absolutely coordination right. and proprioception. So oh my goodness, um, yes. have, have you had to do a lot of balance so, work then to so try I, and I've got two, yeah, prevent I've, that? I've got two broken wrists and they've never healed. So, I, you know, certainly in the, in the winter when I go swimming, because I go every day all through the years, you know, without a wetsuit, my wrists throb because I've still got mm-hmm. broken wrists. And that came from me falling down. So, yeah, I, I, I had to, I've had done a lot of work on my clumsiness um so yeah a lot of work on that because i that you know i don't want to be falling down and, and breaking something um i would challenge a bit that you can't reverse osteoporosis because actually bones grow when mm, they when true. they're yeah. bones grow when when you when they're impacted when they're hit mm. so you know I, and i looked that up and again not on the internet the internet didn't exist back then i looked it up in a book and actually i, I that's why i took up running and i did reverse it I reversed it a huge amount. Well, you, um, you must be absorbing some calcium then in order for um, the bones to have the min- the, the sure. resources in which to yeah. to rebuild. And I, I do take your point there that um, one of the things that we um, ask people now is to continue lifting when they're getting older mm, to counteract yeah. the aging process and yeah. that sort of um, bone density thing. And, you know, running's great for the for the muscles, lower spine and, you know. And the building lower, the, muscle and, around the bone. And the legs, yeah, yeah but um, yeah. for the upper body, you've got to lift heavy weights. Yeah, and, and but, but you've got basically what what you're going to do is you've got to put the the, the connective tissue that pulls on the bone creates yeah. a stress, which then the bon- bone responds to yeah. by making itself stronger. But you still got to have the resources there in the first place. Yeah. which is, I guess I guess it's your challenge, isn't it? Is how do I get that calcium in? It is. It is. So I do eat, and I and I do eat food with calcium, but it causes me pain. Mm. But that's the trade off, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 I know sometimes when I'm eating stuff, my wife will go, "Really? Should we not?" And I'm like, "I know, and I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I just know it, and it's going to be really horrible." But I kind of got to do that. Um, so again, that's just part of part of life, isn't it? Or you, or stop, right? I mean, just mm. sit down and don't do anything. Yeah, well, <laughs> ex- exactly. Yeah, let it let it beat you or, or fight yeah. it. Um, yeah, and and let's face it. You know, there's always challenges in life, isn't there? Where, wherever you oh, look at this, wherever I mean, you look, whatever direction, there's challenges coming at you. You know, I don't have challenges, do I? You know, you look at you look at what some people go through. Wow, mm. I mean, I don't have challenges. You know, it's fine. Um, it, yeah. Um, I mean, we were talking just before we started recording about everybody's pain is relevant, isn't it? You know, you yeah. you've got your challenges, and for somebody like me, I, I don't really have any challenges like that. So. I might be limping along thinking, oh, my Achilles is a bit sore today and uh, I've got a blister on the end of my big toe. And you'll look at me and go, come on, Simon, get get on with it. Um, but then 
you know, there'd be a there'd be somebody like the um the chappy that you mentioned earlier that is playing tennis in his yeah. wheelchair. There you go. Um, you know, he's got more obvious and, and probably mm. greater challenges than oh. you and I, but then he'd say, Yeah, but I'm lucky really. What about that fella there? Well that's it. That's you know? it. And all on and our pain is our pain and your blister doesn't hurt you less because I don't have one. Mm. I mean <laughs> so you know it, it's just I guess it's 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 how I, I want I don't want to say how driven we are because people tell me I'm driven and I don't think I am. I'm just but I guess it depends how driven you are as to how far you'll push yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, Nathan, he had an accident racing in his wheelchair. He took up wheelchair tennis. That had to be painful and challenging in so many ways. Other people would have just would have quit. And, you know, me with my Crohn's, I know people with my Crohn's who have stopped and I haven't. I mean, it's just it's 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 just we are what we are. We are what we are. Mm, well, tell us. So tell us about the 52 by 52 triathlon challenge. So I was telling somebody the other day and he said, so what? He's just he's just. He's just doing an Olympic distance triathlon every week or, or on average one a week. And I said, yeah, but that's quite a lot. You know, that's like asking a runner to do a half marathon at least yeah. every week. I don't think yeah. I can do that. Um, and I said, and anyway, what are you judging it by? Well, that Iron Cowboy is doing 100 Ironman in 100 days. Well, that's mm. right. But, you know, ask most yes. people to do a triathlon every week. After yeah. a few weeks, your body starts asking for a rest, and that's and that's when it becomes more challenging. And after the, a few yeah. months, and you think, well, mm. I can take a little break now. No, you can't actually, because no, you've you still can't. got you still got twenty five left to do. So, <laughs> um, it, it's an impressive challenge. So, thank you. Yeah. Once you'd once you'd committed on stage in front of three hundred people, and you'd done the ready, and you'd you you were ready, yeah. and you'd fired. How did you go about doing the aiming bit and org- and doing all the organisation and deciding? Because <laughs> I guess. I guess you can't do 52 organised triathlons, so you have no, to, to create your own. Yeah. Oh, my God, most of them are on my own, of course. Okay. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing how you say that, how you say, well, it's only one a week, and because that was my view. No, but that was my view. Mm-hmm. When I took it on and I said it, I, one a week? How hard can that be? I've done I've done Ironmans. I've done half Ironmans. I've swum the channel. I've done loads of Olympic triathlons. Can't be that hard. Of course, the, the triathlon yeah, it comes with challenges. I'm not going to say it's not easy, but the, everything else around it, your head as an example, it's very difficult. So the the um, the hard thing, I guess, is this. What I found I've got injured. You can't get injured or ill, by the way, with no. this. You know, this whole I'm doing 50 and 50 days. I mean, that's a different sort of challenge. It's not the same challenge. I can't get injured at any point or get ill at any point. And I have got ill. I've I've done this with COVID. I've done this with my back. My back went. I pulled my sciatic nerve, and I couldn't put my socks on. I still did the triathlon. I cannot. I can't get behind in my mind. If I get behind, then I'm in trouble. I've got to keep on it. And every time, sorry, yeah. I was going to say, is it imperative that you do one per week then, or you've just got to complete fifty? Yes. Yeah, so this is me. Two weeks. This is my challenge. And, and I've, I've got these weird rules that I've set, which which don't shouldn't apply and don't need to. My wife constantly says, well, just do it Sunday. But I do them Friday morning at half past five in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I work as hard as I possibly can. So that's what I do. So to say do it Sunday or give it a rest this week, I can't, it's just I can't do that because I set the rules. And my rules were 52 in 52 weeks. It's always going to be the Olympic distance because that's what I said. So um, I, I signed up to as many official ones as I as I could afford, as I could afford with the time. I've still got a business to run, a charity to run. 
a, a very like you a very busy household you can't just go i'm going to dedicate my whole life to this mm. so i you know i've done i've done a, a few i've probably done about a dozen so far official ones this year including in greece i've done one in south africa just because i happened to be there so i've looked one up and i thought that's handy i'll do one um the rest of them i've literally i've got various um routes mostly it's always in the sea but there are some days you just can't get in the sea because Mm -hmm. you won't come out again and that i'm not going in this to not not finish it so you know then you've got to find a pool to do them in um again on the bike i'm out i've got half a dozen different routes around brighton which are 40k routes some are hilly sometimes i fancy a hill sometimes they're purely flat because i just haven't got the energy to go anything above that and the same with the run Mm-hmm. And there's been some days I've had to do the whole, like when my back went, I had to do the whole thing indoors. So I couldn't get on a bike or run mm-hmm. on the street. So I had mm-hmm. to sit on a, on a turbo, put Zwift on, put a table next to me, lean on the table so I'm upright, <laughs> and then get on the treadmill and just go as fast as I possibly can um, while I'm trying to fight back the pain. Mm-hmm. The, I found each time I've got injured is when I haven't done anything in the week. When I've gone, I'm just too tired. I'm just going to do the triathlon this week. Every single time mm. something's happened. Well, so that's that's my next question because um, anybody who's familiar with doing races on a back-to-back basis will know that you know you normally take the maybe you'll do a little bit the next day, have a mm. day of rest. You can maybe get one one or two sessions in the middle of the week, and then you're getting ready for your event again. So yeah. how I guess you came into this with a with a, a base level of fitness from the other challenges yeah. you've done. Yeah, um, definitely. So what do you do to keep things rolling during well, the, during each event? It's pretty much like this. Monday morning, I'm in the, down the beach at 6am and I'm in the sea. And I'll swim, depending on the time of year. At the moment, I can do half an hour. Mid-winter, um, it's 10 minutes. Uh, summer, I can do an hour and a half, two hours. So it depends on, on mm-hmm. the temperatures. But Monday, I swim. I then come home. Uh, and I've got, I'm very lucky. I've got a gym at home. Very blessed with that. So I then go to the gym for an hour and I'll do um, I go on the rowing machine normally or cross train or something like that for an hour. So I do a two hour session normally on a Monday in total. Tuesday, I, I just go down the beach and swim. Wednesday, I go down the beach and swim. I then come back and I do weights. So I do a lot of core work, strength work, upper body to just keep as strong as I can. Thursday, um, I go down and have a swim. Friday morning at half five, I'm, I'm down the beach. And at the moment, it's pitch black and it's dangerous and it's stupid to do, but it's what I do. I don't do it any later because I still got to want to be at work by 10, half 10. So I'm, I'm down there at half five in the morning, religiously on a Friday morning. Um, and that's that. I then have Saturday off. And then Sunday, I'll get up normally about seven-ish and I'll just do a gentle 5K run and then Monday repeat. So I'm training. The, it, the, the way I'm getting through this event without getting injured is because I'm training five days around it every week so but back to your point earlier about movement is um, the best form of medicine (laughs) is Mm. you know i I do think that when people stop exercising that 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 is when they get injured because the body stiffens up so your body's used to moving and if you're not giving any movement then then it'll make it worse when you start in the the the, the event on friday yeah so my sciatic nerves are really interesting one because of my osteoporosis and my Crohn's, you know, you often walk a bit weird sometimes. If you're in pain, you'll lean one side more than the other. And, you know, and you know, I've, I've been on a walking stick for a couple of weeks, so you're leaning the wrong way. So I've had this back pain. I don't get a bad back, but I've had my sciatic nerve a few times. 
And when it comes on, it's always four to six months before it's absolutely dealt with. Well, I, it came on and it was bad. I couldn't put my socks on. And I did my triathlon. Two weeks later, zero pain. Mm. I mean, they were painful doing them, but it completely worked the problem out. I mean, it's astonishing. I mean, I, I, you know, if I ever have it again, I'm just going to work through it because mm-hmm. that's how I've kept myself healthy. I mean, the hardest thing with this challenge hasn't been physical, though. It's definitely, definitely mental because, like, you know, you, you get up, say it's um, March, Friday morning, mid-March, it's raining outside, it's dark. I've had my swim. Well, okay, it's a challenge, the swim, but all right, it's what I do. So let's take a bit of pleasure out of that. But then I've got to get on a bike, and I've done my 40K on the bike. Then I stick my running shoes on, and as I'm running, I'm thinking to myself, no one's watching me. No one cares. I'm on my own with this. I'm 2K into the run. I've had enough. I'm going home. Mm. Why bother? No one cares I'm doing it. No one's looking at me. It just doesn't matter. And then, of course, your other sh- the devil on your other shoulder says, well, you'll know. And that's a real, that's a proper battle, that is. And I've had that through the whole year with this. Every now and again, I'll do one and I'll be like, I enjoyed that. And all the all the official ones, you don't get it because you're in a race, of course. Mm. But when you're on your own and you're just running down the street, you've got another 8K to go and it's only half eight in the morning and no one's watching you and no one's cheering you on. And when you get home, you've just got to have a shower and go to work. It's really easy to stop. And that's why this, for me, this has been the hardest challenge I've done. It's not, the physical's hard, but we can all do that. And you're stronger than me. I mean, Mark's stronger than me. I I mean, you know, everyone's stronger than me. It's not a problem. Mentally, I would challenge anyone to go, you do 52 triathlons in a year. I've Mm. never done more than three. Um, It's really hard. You get to Friday, you finish it, and all of a sudden it's Friday again. I mean, it's, you know, it's really that, the mental side of it, really tough. How many have you completed now then? Uh, 45. 45. So you've got seven, seven to weeks go. to go. So yeah. when you get to, I mean, at the moment, you're probably thinking, oh, <coughs> I'll be really glad when I've done number seven. But then do you think there's going to be a, a sort of a, a sense of loss and um, anticlimax <laughs> well, when yeah. you've done number seven? Yeah. In, I mean, interestingly, so many people have said to me, only seven to go. Yeah. And I have to say to them, I get that, but I've never done seven in my life in a year. You know, I'm still looking at seven. So I'm counting the number of weeks because seven weeks seems a lot easier seven triathlons somehow Mm. but interesting you say that uh not last week the one i just did on friday was just particularly hard mentally and i i I really struggled but the week before that for some reason everything worked and i just felt good and it struck me oh my god i've only got eight to go and i almost felt that loss but what am i gonna do and i thought to myself no don't go there don't go there don't now start thinking about the next thing get this get this thing done Mm. Yeah. yeah keep that throat lubricated rob yeah stay healthy <laughs> yeah so yeah so yeah I, I, you know it is a it's a it's a mental challenge more than anything and and i think there will be a loss when i finished it i've no doubt i'll be wondering what to do with myself do you do you ever get people coming along to uh to, to accompany you on these i know i've read um dean canazis book where he talks about doing 50 marathons in 50 days and it, he he did a bit of what you've done. He organised quite a lot himself, but he had he had a social media account. So he'd say to people, right, I'm going to be – and his Sorry. thing was to do what, a different one in a different state. And so he said, right, I'm going to be in Wisconsin <clears throat> tomorrow and we're going to run from here. It's a Wednesday morning if anyone wants to join us. And he'd get about 20, 30 people that would join him. Um, I know that there's a healthy open water swimming community in Brighton. Yeah, is, yeah. Um, but I guess most of them don't swim at <clears throat> half five. That's this it, is my least, problem. Yeah. 
this is my problem. People don't want to come out at half past five. So I could go out later. I could be the bigger man and go, oh, I'll be out later. But I do it at half five on a Friday morning. That's how I do it. It's in my diary. And I'm a stickler for my diary. So it's difficult. But I have had I have had people, no one's volunteered yet to do the whole thing with me. Not one person. Really? Okay. <clears throat> Not one. But I have had, so a couple of uh, friends of mine, uh, to Daley Thompson, I'm going to throw in a name there. Greatest Olympian I think England's ever had. He's a friend of mine. He lives in Brighton. So he's come out and done a couple of runs with me. And, you know, when you're running with someone like that, you can't help but... Um, you know, you might be game of it, don't you? You need Chris Eubank. He's a Brighton resident, isn't he? He lives down the road from me. Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't so see. He doesn't see you yeah. as he's driving past in his huge, great truck and give you a toot. He doesn't. No, he doesn't see me as any sort of threat either. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, and I've had uh, there's some local people, local friends of mine who are triathletes and stuff, or, or sea swimmers who have said, "Well, I'll do the swim with you, or I'll do the run with you." So I have had a few, but I, I'm not a team. It sounds awful. I'm not a team player. I never have been. <clears throat> I've never done team sports. Now, even my business, I have wonderful staff and I just let them crack on. They don't need me to micromanage them. But I'm better on my own doing my part of the job. There's mm. something nice about me just getting up and I just do it and I tick it off. I didn't, I work as hard as I can on every one. I mean, I don't dolly around. I get on them and I'm always looking at my times. On every one, I check my time compared to last mm-hmm. week and the week before because that's in our nature, I guess, to do that when you're a sports person of any type. But I took the challenge on to tick them off. And so the easiest option I can do, whilst I work as hard as I can, and having someone else there, I'm either going to have to chase them because I'm not quick, or, or I'm going to have to slow down because they're not. And it all seems a bit of a, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm. So uh, what have you found with your times? Have you have you noticed that they're, they're um, getting better or are they fairly static? The, the only thing getting better is the run. So the, the swim... If the swims are swimming because I've been swimming now for 10 years and I just go in the sea and swim every day. I've never, I don't, since the channel, uh, when I did specific speed uh, sessions, now I just get in the sea and I swim around the Brighton Pier. I, I never push myself for speed. So with this, I can, you know, I could go and do a 5K swim tomorrow. It, it's not, it's not, doesn't challenge me, but it'll always be at the same speed. Mm. So like my, my, you know, the, the 1500 meter swim in the sea, basically takes me 35 minutes and that's it the conditions will make it two minutes quicker or two minutes uh, slower <laughs> that's it the bike um if i'm on the turbo doing it indoors it's one hour 20 right if i'm outdoors it's pretty much one hour 40 even if it's a hill uphill or downhill i can't get any faster it's so frustrating i thought at the end of this i'd be nailing it the only thing that's got quicker is the run i used to run um, just over an hour on the 10k where now doing it as part of the try it's 50 minutes so i've taken 10 minutes off the run oh, but uh good. but that's it apart from that frustratingly i thought i'd get to the end of this 52 challenge and i'd be actually able to compete but no I'm always i'm always going to be middle or near the back <laughs> <laughs> oh fabulous maybe maybe I, get after, to the end. I always get to the end so. maybe after we've published this podcast you'll have a few people um offering to join you on your last yeah, um, why not? Last that would couple be nice. of three. I'll, maybe we'll put yeah. a note out to people in uh, to try athletes <laughs> in Brighton to come and help you. And yeah, I mean, there's always go. there's always a few maskists out there who'd like to do the swim. Maybe we could get some, you know, uh, a couple of swimmers to help come with you on the swim, and then a couple more to ride on the bike. Yeah, why maybe. not? Why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So aside from you, obviously you've got <coughs> family, you've got your business, um, yeah. you've got these challenges. That's not enough for you. So you've started writing books. 
Yeah, that's quite cool. Um, <laughs> give yeah. a busy man a job, eh? Give a busy man a job. I'm I'm at my worst when I've got nothing to do. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. a nightmare to be around. Um, and I'm I am at my most creative when I'm busy. So tell us tell us about your books then. They're novels, so it's fiction. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, and, and I know you said you'd publish one and you've got another one that you're on with at the moment. So have you created a character that the books are over around or is each one different or is, is it a well, sort of like one leading onto the other? The, the, the one that's published, um, it's called What the Tide Brings Back. You won't be surprised to know it's set in the sea in Brighton Beach because <laughs> um, right about everyone says right about what you know. So, um, yeah, it's set in the sea in off around the Palace Pier in Brighton Beach and, and it's, a, it's a, a ghost story. Because um, again, when you're swimming in the sea on your own and it's dark and you're heading around the pier, I swear you think there are ghosts under there as well as sharks. Well, I was going to ask. I was gonna, I was going to ask you about that. It's, it's um, and then I thought mm, maybe there's a few listeners say, well, that's really unsafe swimming in the dark on your own in open water oh, in the sea. But um, yeah. but as you've said, you've got other challenges. So yeah, yeah, this, that's the least of it. So, so um, t- t- what? T- just just to jump down that rabbit hole then. Yeah. Um, pitch black into the sea. Yeah. Uh, I mean that that's taking that's taking yeah. a big leap of faith at uh, um, at any point in time, it is. isn't it? It is, and, and and I know it's silly, and I don't, I definitely don't suggest anyone does it, and don't do this at home, kids. All that stuff to the point where my wife, well, my wife has doesn't discuss my sea swimming even when I'm not doing that. She just refuses to engage. If I was to come home and I which I've done and said my God, that was the sea was rough this morning. She'll walk out of the room. So she just refuses to engage about that whole part of my life. So, yeah, it is dangerous. But you know what? I have been doing it now for, well, 12 years now, every day. And I don't go out not to come back. So, yes, it's a chance. It's a risk. And it is silly. I get all that. But it, it doesn't come without thought. You know, I, I, I get in the sea. I know, I know which way the tides are going. I know my beach really well. I know where the riptides are and I know how close to get to the pier and I know if it, the temperature's too low. I mean, I could I could tell you when I get in, in the sea what the temperature is to a point mm-hmm. without any without any equipment. I just know it's, you know, 12.6 or 12.4. I'd know the difference. So it's I think the, it is dangerous. I get that. and, and it, But it's part of the challenge I've taken on. So I, so I do it. But I think, again, the hardest bit is getting over the mental side because sometimes, you know, you're swimming around the head of the pier, you're about 450, 500 metres out. It's dark. Um, it's a bit rough, a bit wavy. Something brushes your foot. Yeah. It could just be, you know, it, it could just be a bit of something floating. It doesn't mean – but your brain goes, well, that's a dead sailor. Come to get me. Um, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm 53. What on earth am I thinking? But your brain goes in these really weird places, and that's when you get faster. Funnily enough, that's when I've got my best record. But you could, but there could be something like there could be a piece of wood floating in there that you would, yeah, that you could hit. No, no, that you would hit, wouldn't you? You know, I've, I've done that, and and you do get a bit concussed. I've been stung by jellyfish out at the end of the pier, which has been bad. And there have been times, sadly, where I've not on my own actually, but I've come gone down the beach in the morning at sort of half six, and we've pulled a body out. Ah, um, yeah. we, we, that happened earlier this year. Um, so yeah, it it doesn't come without its challenges, but uh. I'm going to ask you now, have you ever been stung by a stingray? Never been stung by a stingray. One nil get me to, on that. That's one nil to me then. There you go. You can you can have that one and you're but, welcome but, but, to but it. But I'm, but I'm also several down on not swimming in the dark, not swimming around the pier, not <laughs> yeah, swimming on yeah. my own, all that stuff. But yeah. Going back to my book, 
that's how I wrote the book because obviously I'm swimming around <laughs> around the pier a lot. Right. Um, and uh, you start thinking of all this stuff. So I, in my head, I just had this person who had drowned who was coming back to get me, and it just seemed like a great character. And then I had a sea swimmer who who had this sort of psychic ability who was dragged into this this person's life and what happened to her. So that's what the book's about. It's about it goes back two hundred years and modern day, and it's kind of him being part of her story. Um, but so yeah, my once again in life, you know, you. I think if I had to set out and gone, I plan to write a book. That's what I will do. I will sit down and think about it. I swear I wouldn't have done it. Well, that's probably was... that's probably standard for most people, isn't it? Is I, I yeah. know a lot of people say I'd love to write a book, but that's it. I think I'll write a book one day, and yeah. and they always say, don't they, that if you if you've got a goal without a deadline, it's just a dream. Yeah, yeah. So you know, for me, it was well. Actually, I'm in here. I'm getting all these stories. I should write them down. But the first thing I did before I'd even written the book was I went out looking for an agent and a, and a publisher mm-hmm. again to get a deadline. I have to have a deadline, and and I I got a, an agent and a publisher before I wrote the book, and that was simply by being a salesman, I guess, just being enthused about it um so what's what's your um when you're writing them what's your strategy um because every every writer i know has different strategies you know some people take themselves away for several months and just get it done and dusted other people commit to write oh, uh, no. ten thousand work five thousand words a day or two pages or for an hour yeah. i i um again my strategy is made up i haven't been to any courses or anything like that so it's just how i do it i write when i am busy when i'm really busy at work and I start to feel a bit overwhelmed, which we get. You know, when you've got so many things on, you think, I need a break from this. Mm-hmm. That's when my mind is at its best. So that, and because it's my business, I can leave the office and I can go home or I can go to a coffee shop. So when I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed with life, which happens, you know, it happens once a week, I guess, um, I'll step away and I have to be where there's noise. I can't, I, I don't know how someone rents a cottage in the middle of the Alps and writes. I mean, <laughs> who'd get anything done? I'd be sitting there looking at the Alps. So mm. I need a bit of noise. So I like to sit in a coffee shop or if the kids are at home, I'll go to my office at home and I'll leave the door open. So I'm not listening, but there's a bit of white noise. So that's important for me. Um, I always um, I always write down. I always plan two or three chapters ahead. I'm always So when I start writing, I know what I'm going to write. It's not just a, an instant, what shall I write? I've always mm-hmm. planned at least two or three chapters ahead. I always do that. And I, when I finish writing... I always write down a very short synopsis of what I've written. So mm-hmm. when I start the next day or the next week or whenever it might be, I don't have to go back and read what I've written because if I do that, I'm going to start correcting it, changing it, right, and all of that, and I'll never go forward. I'm gonna, and I've done that before, and I think I'm not moving forward. Why is that? It's because I keep going back and reading. So now I, I always write a synopsis. So I just skim through that, and I go, oh, yes, that's what happened, I remember. And the other thing I do, which I don't know if anyone else does this or not, is whenever I get to a bit which is really exciting, which you know I didn't see coming, and I'm really excited and I'm desperate to write it, that's when I shut the laptop and I leave it because it gives me something really exciting to look forward to. It's like when you're reading a book and, you, and, and you're in the middle of a chapter and you fall asleep, you can't wait to pick the book up. I do that with writing. I, wanna, I, I stop and force myself to stop, so I'm desperate to get back to it. You did. Do you sketch out a whole plan of what's going to happen in each chapter then, or are you just are you just, just spewing words yeah. out and a, and a well, story's developing ad hoc? When I start, so the book I've got published, I've written the, I've already written the follow-up to that, 
and I'm now writing a, a different. That's a three series, and I'm writing another one, which is a four series. So I've just switched to that one. With all the writing I've done, and I used to write uh, for theatre and, and and did in the past when I was younger and stuff. I've always done the same thing, the same as I said right when we first started talking. I jump, and then I look. I open the laptop and I start a story, and I just start writing without any idea what it's going to be about whatsoever. Utter tripe. I just start writing, and it's that step one. At some point during that journey, I'm normally maybe 10,000 words in. I'll stop and I'll go, oh, okay, that's that's got an idea. That's going somewhere. What do I think of that? And if I like it, then I stop and I start plotting a few chapters ahead. But I'm, I never know more than maybe three or four chapters ahead what's going to happen. And it doesn't ever happen like that anyway, to be honest, because uh, – it, writing takes a life of its own but I, I like to when I start I like to have I like to start with nothing blank page is brilliant but then I like to have a bit of a bit of an idea mm -hmm. it's like starting a business isn't it you know you, you don't know how your business is going to go but at some point it takes a life of its own and then you say now I'll write a business plan it's a bit mm. like that really you can't write a business plan the day you open your business you don't know what's going to happen oh I used to get terribly frustrated when you go on a business course or a, a something and somebody says let's write a business plan oh. or a cash flow forecast i'm like this is just nonsense based on what yeah, yeah. based on what yeah so I, I mean i always yeah. i always tell that to the triathlon coaches because they'll have this they'll spend ages writing this amazing plan for somebody and i'm like without knowing you know, the person <laughs> and i say the, mili the military have a phrase that the plan falls apart on first contact with the enemy well in this case you know, the yeah. enemy is your publisher or your mind or your yeah your triathlete yeah. and then you yeah, and then yeah, you're yeah. gonna have to start un unraveling it anyway so why waste your time why waste your time um crack can, on as long as you've got a basis for starting then yeah then like you say, you yeah. can mould it to, to yeah. what you see in and, front of you, can't you? Yeah, and there's so many bases for stories. I mean, you know, I've done enough in my life and I've met enough people. There are, I mean, there's a hundred million stories out there, aren't there? Well, it's, and I guess that it's not the story or the idea itself, um, you know, as much as some have a clever plot and a twist. It's about how you tell the story. So maybe that that, that must be your secret um, is, I, you is how what? you tell the story. I think I'm, I'm, I'm not an educated person. I'm very black and white and, and that things need to be simple for me to understand them. And I don't say that putting myself down. That's how I am. And that's how I've built a business mm -hmm. for 31 years because I don't look too deeply in it. You know, I look at just the facts in front of me. Mm -hmm. I just control the controllables. That's all I can ever do in life. So that's the sort of book I like to read where I can get to a chapter. I've understood it and I can quickly turn the page. I yeah. don't want to, I don't want de too much detail. So I write like I read, I guess, you know, from, I think, People who've read my books have said, wow, they're really quick to read. Mm -hmm. And I like that. You know, why hang about? Crack on. But, but that's that's also an interesting point, isn't it? Is that, um, you know, identifying what you want uh, and how you like to do things. There's probably an awful lot of people who actually have similar ideals and they like that. I want it to be simple. I want it to be easy mm. to follow. I want it to be quick to read. Right. And there'll be other people who won't. And that's fine because you've identified your target audience and who you're writing 100%. for. 100%. 100%, 100%. It's the same as my eating, isn't it? I know it works for me, so why yep. do something different? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. It, well, if you've got a publisher and you earn a bit of money out of it, then you're probably doing – it's, you, it's you know, you're up there, it's aren't great. you? Yeah, it's great. You know, it's exciting. I, I love – it. that's the part – you know, sitting in an office isn't creative. I love being creative. It's really exciting. So it's the fact that actually somebody wants to pay and buy that, I mean, I, I find the whole thing astonishing. But do you it's get a bit cool. of a – 
if if you're in a train station, a railway station, you're in Smiths or you're in a news agency and you see a book there, does it give you a sort of like a little yeah? Give, oh a my god, of course, of, excitement, of yeah? course, and you feel a complete fraud as well. Complete really? fraud. Yeah, of course you do. Well, everybody it's like, gets it's you, like me, Everybody like gets you. A, go on. It's like, it's like me saying I'm a triathlete. Of course I'm not. Ridiculous. It's the same thing. Yeah, everybody gets imposter syndrome, though, don't they? Even yeah, the people yeah. at the very top will probably think, you know, I shouldn't be here. Yeah, of course. Um, so, uh, well, it, 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 Rob, it's been amazing to chat with you. Oh, um, you too, Simon. Th- thank thank you. you so much for sharing all of that story with us. I guess I guess if we dug a bit deeper, there'd be a lot more. Um, where can people find you, apart from the uh, apart from the English Channel, of course? <laughs> yeah, apart from the sea by the pier at half past five every morning. Um, wait, I mean, go to the best place, really. I mean... If you go on, go on our uh, charity website, which is Star Trust, S-T-A-R-R-T-R-U-S-T, startrust.org. Mm. And my challenge is on there. It's on, on the bar. It says 5252 Challenge. And I keep a weekly blog, of course. Um, and all my information's on there. Um, I mean, I've got website, my author website, and you know, robstar.com and all, yeah, all that nonsense. But the simplest thing is just to look on the, the charity website because obviously I brag on there about everything. Well, and if... If you're a triathlete wanting to uh, do a little event one Friday morning and you live in the Brighton area, yeah. um, Rob's only got a handful left to do. So um, as you <laughs> heard, he, he, he he's he's not looking for people to help him, but I don't think he'll turn you away either if there you, you want to join him. Um, if you you're a, if if you're one of those uh, amazing people that likes to go for a cold and dark swim on a five five thirty in, in a morning, then Rob would be <laughs> very well, very Delighted. pleased to hear from you guys. <laughs> Delighted. Um, <laughs> Because it's, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm I'm out swimming in the ocean and I feel a bit exposed, there, there's always a calming bit when you know there's somebody next to you. I don't know why that would be, because if they, anything happened, it wouldn't really make any difference. They, they it? can't help you; they can't do anything. But just having them there, yeah, it's unbelievably comforting. It's yeah, really funny. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay, Rob, it's been brilliant. Thank you so yeah, much nice for sharing that with us. Yeah, take Thank care. You. Cheers, take care. Now. Bye. Thank you again to Rob for joining me on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, there are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. To make sure that you don't miss any episode in the future, please go along to iTunes or your chosen um, podcast deliverer and search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and then click on the subscribe button. Also, please don't forget to check out the links if you're interested in joining the Swatch triathlon community for your winter training that's all for now i hope you have a great week and i will see you on the next episode